are you doing? Cliff, do you have any film in your camera? What? Take those ridiculous things off! Do you have any film in your camera? Sure. Okay, you guys, go get it and bring it on outside, okay? Right up front. Before. Look, just get it and come on out front, okay? UFO? It's better. Extraterrestrial? It's better, all right? Just get it and come on outside. Female extraterrestrial? Ninth podcast of the Jim Church School of Underwater Photography. I'm Mike Haber. And I'm Mike Mizgleski. Today, we're going to be far less technical than we've been in recent weeks. We want to talk about how you can make your images stand apart from other photographers' images, even in instances when you're all shooting the same subject. Our theme today is thinking outside the box. There was a really interesting story in the news this week about a portrait of a woman that was painted in 1941 by Pablo Picasso. This portrait was sold at auction for over $95 million. Now be honest, how many of us who saw this story didn't look at this particular painting and think, my goofy nephew Jeffrey could have probably painted that thing? But others among us who understand Impressionist painting, at least a little, would have looked deeper into the work and seen some of the reasons that this piece of art has become so valuable. I know what you're thinking. What does this have to do with underwater photography? Well, once again, we're going to rely on Picasso to help answer that question. In his early life, Picasso was a very talented painter in the traditional or realist style. However, had his work never evolved into his now famous cubist style, it's doubtful that there would have been a news story regarding one of his paintings this past week. Picasso thought outside the box. The point is this. In underwater photography, we'll work very hard to get good, well-lit, properly focused images. And once we learn how to do this on a regular basis, we adopt a personal recipe for taking good pictures. The problem is that over time, our photographs begin to look the same. Our subject composition is predictable, our lighting is kind of flat, and overall, our work develops a boring sameness. We're often so concerned about not taking a bad photo that we don't take the chances necessary to create a great photo. You know, you don't have to wait for a great subject to swim in front of your camera in order to capture a great photo. Sometimes there is magic hidden in some of the simplest subjects that we pass on every single dive while we're desperately searching for that whale shark or a mating pair of black sailfin blennies. We just need to think outside the box. Mike and I have each selected two of our own images that we think represents thinking outside of the box. The images are posted on the Podcast 9 page of our website, www.jimchurchphoto.com. In each case, the images represent a subject that was commonly available to anyone on the dive, but a subject that we chose to photograph in a manner that separated our images from others. We'll explain how we accomplished this. But before we go any further, we really encourage you to go to our website, www.jimchurchphoto.com, find the Podcast 9 page, 
and take a look at the pictures we're going to be describing. Strobes aren't meant to light only from the front. Move them around, they can also cast their light from the side or even from the back of a subject. On one trip to Truck Lagoon, we found the helm of the Nipomaru surrounded by silver sides. After looking at our first dive's photos, Jim got the idea of backlighting the silver sides with a slave strobe. Well, I had an extra strobe on board, so we took it down to the Nippo Bridge and placed it about two to three feet behind the helm. Now this strobe was not physically connected to any of our cameras. We set the strobe on slave. That means that when the built-in slave sensor saw the strobes attached to our cameras fire, it triggered the slave strobe to fire at the same time, backlighting the helm in the silver sides. We had to position the strobe carefully. The camera cannot see any of the front of the strobe, otherwise the light coming out will flare in the lens and all will get a big white blob. Fortunately, the helm helped to block the strobe nicely. We also turned the power setting down so the silver sides would not be overexposed from behind. Everybody in the class got some great photos of the Nippo helm with silver sides backlit. Now you don't have to travel all the way to truck for a subject to backlight. Now look around on your next dive. You'll find subjects that you may have passed over as too boring that will take on a whole new interest when you see them in a different light, a backlit light. When we photograph little things like Christmas tree worms, we usually use a very small aperture opening like f16 or f22. That's because we're so close to the subject, usually less than a foot away, and our strobe is very powerful at that distance. We prefer to use that small aperture opening rather than turn the strobe power down so we can get more depth of field in our picture. Now we'll talk more on depth of field in a later podcast, but as a quick reference here, depth of field is the area in front of and behind the point of focus that is acceptably sharp. Now it varies with picture size and aperture. F22 will produce a greater depth of field than F4. So to get more of the subject in acceptable focus, we use the smaller apertures like F22. That's fine for the intense light coming from our strobe in close, but it usually means that the backgrounds go dark in the photo we're trying to take of the Christmas tree worm. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but what if we wanted a blue background? Well, first you have to find a Christmas tree worm that has blue behind it. Look around, there's plenty underwater in all sorts of different settings. You want to find one that's up high enough so that you can get below it and shoot up. It also needs to be in a position where, when you shoot up, you can see the ocean surface behind it. Why the ocean surface? Well, that blue water is brighter, and it may very well be the same exposure value as the strobe light falling on our Christmas tree worm. When we compose and take the picture, ta-da, no black background. And the closer the sun ball is behind our subject, the brighter the blue water background will be. And there you go, blue water backgrounds, when shooting weeny stuff at teeny apertures. The next time you find a good subject you can get below and shoot up, remember this technique. Oh, and by the way, while you're at it, try a few shots with your strobe turned off for a silhouette. You may get a shot you like outside the box. And we'll talk about silhouettes in a later podcast. My two photographs have several things in common. The first is that they were both shot in the Cayman Islands. The second is that they were both the result of me being bored out of my mind on a dive. 
The first is a photograph of a brittle star that's nestled down in the bottom of a small vase sponge. As you know, this is a pretty common sight all over the Caribbean. And on one dive, not finding anything else to pique my interest, I decided to try something different with this particular setup. I was using a 50mm macro lens on an SLR camera, and in order to make the brittle star a significant element of my image, I had to get extremely close to the subject. The problem is once the brittle star moves away from the lip of the sponge and retreats deeper into the interior of the sponge's tube, it becomes more and more difficult to light directly. In the case of this photo, the housing's port completely covered the opening of the sponge. There was no room for light to come from the direction of the lens. It occurred to me that I might be able to light the brittle star from the outside of the sponge by using the sponge as kind of a diffuser. So while manually focusing down the tube of the sponge onto the brittle star, I handheld a single strobe at the base of the sponge and backlit the brittle star from the outside in. While I knew I wanted to use a shutter speed of a 60th of a second, I had no idea what aperture to use. I had no idea what effect the body of the sponge would have on the strobe light passing through it. Since I didn't know what aperture to use, I used them all. I shot the image from f2.8 to f22. Then I moved the strobe a little bit to a different position and repeated the process. The photo you see is one of a great many that I attempted that dive. But out of the many came at least one pretty good keeper. The next photo is of a houndfish in mid-feed. Right place at the right time? Not really. I created the situation. We were at Stingray City for, oh, hour number five on this particular day, and frankly, I had had my fill of those lovely stingrays, even though they hadn't yet had their fill of our bait. You couldn't help but notice the school of houndfish darting about the surface above us all day. I took some of the bait and positioned myself just at the surface. I set my wide-angle lens to minimum focus and aimed my camera upward to a point just in front of me. Then I took a piece of the bait and tossed it out of the water into the air so it would land at the point that my camera was pre-focused to. When the bait hit the water, the houndfish hit the bait. Now it took a fair number of throws and shots in order to coordinate camera, fish, and bait into one homogeneous image. But I think I succeeded with this one. The action is real, even though it was staged. The out-of-the-box thinking in this photo was not in f-stops or shutter speeds. It was in making the fish do something different for me than it was doing for anyone else. And while everyone else that day got great shots of stingrays, I got the only shot of a feeding houndfish. Well, that's it for this week's episode of the Jim Church School of Digital Underwater Photography. Send us your examples of images that you shot when you thought outside the box, and we'll share them with everyone else here on our website. Send them to podcast at jimchurchphoto.com. Also, keep sending us your ideas and suggestions for future podcast subjects to that same email address, podcast at jimchurchphoto.com. Until next week, this is Mike Haber. And this is Mike Mizgleski. And we will see you next time.
Ted, that's the prom queen. You got two girls in one night. I told you dudes I was hot. Hot? Ted, you're a legend. You shut up. People around here work, all right? Now, we hurry it up. I'm bringing like 30 major laws here. Come on. No, Ted, nobody's going to believe you. That, my friends, is what the pictures are for, okay? Ah! You guys ready? Wait, hold on. Just put it down just a bit. You guys know what you're doing here or what? All right, just a minute. How does this look? Very nice. Wait a minute, you know, black and white, it would just capture the moment so nicely. Would, oh. Will you take the picture already? It's my pumpkin. What? Oh, pictures. Cheers. 